Space is there on the human face for everyone's face to be different. Every person don't have to be like a micrometer larger in each direction or smaller. Like, how much? Like, there's eight billion people, and there's probably eight billion people also. You know, how many billion people were born since the beginning of time, and everyone is different. That should be mind blowing. How much space? Like, it's a little canvas, it's about six inches by four, or whatever. I don't know how to measure it. And everyone is different. Yeah. It's like a miracle. Micrometers away, you know, it's just micrometer difference in others. Everyone thinks that they're special. Yeah, yeah, everyone is special. You know, as a therapist, actually, this is one of my guides that I use to sort of help me remain the balance, help me keep balance, you know, during a session where I remember that, you know, an issue can come up which is very similar to someone who just walked out the door a few minutes before. So a, a therapist has to sort of careful not to fall into the trap of like, oh, this is just another one of the same issue. While in essence it is in essence, very similar, right? 99.99999% similar. Doesn't everyone have the same issue? But the reason why this person's here is because of that 0.00001% difference. An example of that is the difference of the facial features, as we brought before. Mm-hmm. And that's what that person's looking for, that connection. Show me how I'm, you know, show me that's Person, once a person gets in touch with their own uniqueness, they have that clarity. It's almost like they're almost another light, and their life is clear. And it's always good to check in with a therapist every month or so, a couple of months, a few times a year. But that—that's when life is good. You just want to check in, you know, at the most minimal level, just like an annual, you know, psychosocial checkup, how things are going. But uh, yeah, when getting in touch with that uniqueness is uh, it's not an easy task, but when it happens, the light, feel like the light comes on. And as a therapist, it's just very refreshing. It's a very refreshing feeling to know when you're able to apply that. And that actually segues into another issue which could come up in therapy, which is termination. How do you know when you're ready to terminate? Everyone always continuously can use extra support. To terminate means that the that the formal relationship, you know, therapy relationship sort of ends. It's sort of terminated. And the person and we just I remain the therapist and the client just sort of blends back into society without having come in every week for a therapy session. So how do you know when to terminate? Everyone could always use additional assistance and the answer sort of is this when you know when you have that feeling that and the client has a feeling that the light was turned on you can start communicating about um about uh about termination how to turn the light on turning the light on is, is a big key you know 
until until a certain time in history, mankind was limited to the sun shining through your window. But at a later point, we had you know we, we discovered a way to safely keep fire to you know and lamps to keep our rooms lit. And uh, now we have you know New York, the city that never sleeps, and uh, you know we had we have um, we tapped into light in a way we never have before. For example, our phones, our devices, it's light. It's the light that shines. You know, we don't touch buttons anymore. We touch a different color of light. And um, so light has has more of a practical meaning for us every single day, more than possibly used to have for our grandparents or great-grandparents or further on in the years. So yeah, turning on the light is ask the question what about PTSD survivors trauma that just means that they're deeper into the darkness you know it's not just about turning on the light it's more of a journey out of the pit out of the the, the, the ditch you know getting out the secured land firm terra firma firm land and then having the light turned on but you're definitely going to know that um, that feeling We all know, like once it's daytime, once the light is turned on for us, then we can function properly. It's actually interesting. Once the thing were functioning properly, we did the DSM, the Diagnostic Statistics Manual. The key component to every diagnosis for a mental health illness is if it if it disrupts daily functioning, disrupts the functioning of daily life in a healthy manner. Meaning that as long as a person is functioning, even if there's something that's not there, baggage, which we all have baggage. Someone has baggage, but they're functioning properly and they're not overly stressed, then the light is still on for you. And that's really the time to check with your therapist, as opposed to when you feel like your lights are turned off. It's going to be a longer journey. So, you yeah. know, I know I know a lot of um, insurances are about, you know, they're very into, and in general, you know, in the medical world, we are very um, pro. You want to be uh, proactive as opposed to reactive. You want to be. Um, you want to preempt illness. You want to maintain a healthy lifestyle, and stress being a sort of definitely impact on mental health. Mental health. Then it's just so important to be in touch, in tune with your own mental health, and to be aware of where you're holding it, and when, and, and be aware of your comfort level, and you feel like. You have to be work. You have to deal with people who are already in your life, and you have to take their take their viewpoint into consideration when deciding what's what's your daily function. Meaning, 
for someone is just going to say, well, I play video games all night, I sleep all day, like, that, and that's just how I roll. That's okay. And, and your therapist will work with you for that. So that's, that's just, you know, I want to put that out there. That's fine. If you have your, whatever your substance is, whatever, whatever is your thing, and that's what you want, if someone's bothering you, like, Someone's nudging you to um, to find a to find a to find a partner, to settle down in life with a job. If you can can handle it and you don't feel and you feel like you want to remain in your in your daily schedule, that's fine. And your therapist should help you do that. But that's I wouldn't say that's optimal. You know, you know it's very nice to be make it all, you know, put you know put pish posh and say that's okay. No, don't worry. But Optimally, we want to be um, investing in society. You know, similar to the concept of the economy, right? We all need to be giving in order for it to for to, for for our life to be worthwhile. As a giver, um, it's so important to be um, so that with that qualification as a giver, it's important to take into consideration those who are already within your inner circle and, and take into account their viewpoint. Um, Decide what should be sort of your daily functioning level. For example, you know what time you wake up, what time you go to sleep, um, your happiness level, your daily, you know, whether you work, whether you're, you know, whether you work for yourself, whether you work for others, how much income you're going to be able to bring in, <clears throat> and whether you take care of your spiritual side as well. Where you get stuck, then that, then that's a great time to, to reach out to a therapist, and that's a great way to hook up with a good therapist and uh, to help you design your, you know, how you want your day to be organized and your weeks to be organized. But it's about giving, like we said before. If you want to just be a taker, your therapist will help you do that. But to be a giver, it's it's more complex, but definitely definitely more rewarding. You know the 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 things in the introduction to Tanya, there's two ways to live life. There's a long, short way and a short, long way. Being a taker is more like the short, long way. Like right now, everything is good. But eventually down the road, you look back and you feel like, that was short. You know, that, that wasn't really, I didn't really invest. And I don't, now in order for me to invest in life and to gain that, it's going to be a long road ahead. On the other hand, if you sort of go the long route initially,
and that really answers the question of how you proofread that schedule. But it's definitely something that has somewhat of a schedule to it, somewhat of a somewhat of a or, or order, and um, so something that's that has you know some should should include should incorporate some ideas of uh, either work or getting income or giving to others and volunteering. That should be definitely a very um, schedule and then of course there's the breaks there's the you know there's the eating there's the for their personal time etc etc where do you feel free where do you feel you're not going to be tied down you're going to be able to be yourself and you're able to choose what you want to do and not feel that you're being controlled and limited by other people you're limited that's a great control. question that's a really good question um, something I've been thinking about recently, and um, I want to comment on that. That um, the best place to turn is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, there's the basic, the, soci- the sociolo- sociological, um, the physical, the sorry, physiological, the actual, the body should exist health in a healthy way. But if someone doesn't have that, we don't really, the freedom's not really on the table. Like a young child, infant, newborn, we just we don't let them do what you want. You know, we, we we just want to give give that milk, give that nurture, and sleep. And so we always have that component throughout our lives that we need to exist physically alive. But then there's um, the concept of safety, which is which is connect, not physical, it's not so much physical. Maybe it's more like a like a the opposite of trauma. The the vac the vacuum that there's no trauma, so like safety means a person. Feels like I'm confident and able to feel like they won't be bullied. For example, example is bullying. So we, when we take away that bullying, we we have this set second set of a human uh, of the nest or component of, of a person to to grow. So already there, we we definitely take into account a person's freedom and safety, right? A person's that you know as a person that we feel safe. We don't we don't control the person and say this will make you feel safe. You know, that, that's not real. Somebody that's not real safety. Um, for example, communist Russia, the the, the communists are saying, now we're gonna tell you how to be safe. And then like they control, you know, manipulate the situation. Then there's um emotional um emotion um emotional uh, esteem where a person's like not just they feel safe but like their their esteems will be respect will, will be um, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm mixing up a little bit. Not saying I didn't brush up right before, but um, person feel health, healthy emotions, you know. So that's where the person really starts to think and to um, to, to, to to feel their emotions. For example, so and, and each one, each level builds off the next. So I said physiological, we have safety, we have now emotions, right? So that's number three where. If a person wants to feel love, they need to have their body safe, safe through through the, through the physiology, physiology. They need to have their safety, and they need they need to have their emotions being healthy. And that's where freedom can express itself. We can choose who we love and who we hate. Um, then there's, if I'm not mistaken, again I could be wrong, but what I what I remember is there's esteem, which means not just that you can 
you know, stage left so you can express your emotions and you can feel like respected, so to speak. Like, uh, let's say, you know, in a workplace, uh, Bob is the maintenance person and everyone respects Bob because without Bob, nothing in the company could have done properly, right? Not like, even though Bob seems to have more of a basic job, but we show him respect because he's an integral part um, of what's going on here. And that's like, and, and that creates, so that, that's a very important component. And, and already in this stage, it's a give and take. Freedom is when you choose how to give, when you choose how to view another person and give the scene. And also where we can only feel real true freedom is when we, when we, when we're esteemed. And when we're put down, it's not even like you're not safe. Like that's that's the second thing. It's more like, like why would I feel good about going to work if no one respects me? That that concept. And the Rodney Dangerfield's big thing of like, no respect. You know, like it, it's a real thing. Yeah. Why it's so funny? Because it's true. We all know that that's what we want. And it's not like everyone's bowing down to us. That type of respect. We're just talking about the decency of it. Respect and decency. That's I'm respected for what I do. Uh, then the high, the, the the fifth level is um, is uh, it's not the proper term for it, but it's more it's something to along the lines of self actualization. I think that's the right actual term. Self actualization. That's where true freedom is. When we feel, you know, when our body's safe, our physi- physiology is fine, we're safe, our emotions are are okay, we're esteemed. Then a person has every has has all the building blocks he needs to be free. To pursue happiness, to pursue to pursue anything that it puts his mind to, he or she puts their mind to, and that's really. I mean, these are building blocks of life. We can't really deny it. Like science has proven these this higher that, that that it exists. So, a person, if you want to be free, you want to live in that zone of self actualization. Now, unfortunately, due to other many factors, internal or external. Maybe poverty, maybe you know, upbringing, trauma, but people are, don't have the first four building blocks. So they can, they, they're not able to do self-actualization. Remember we spoke before about turning on the light? The light turns on when you write self-actualization, when you're out of the ditch. You feel like your emotions, you're in touch with your emotions. You can express your emotions. You feel like people around you look at you like, in Yiddish it's called a mensch. When you're, uh, when you're respected, you can, you're at peace. Somewhat, and you can, and you can pursue anything with your intellect. That that's what freedom's about. And you know, it's it's coming up. Pesach's really coming just around the corner. And in a certain way, you can see God sort of freed the Jews from all those stages. Of course, that they were in the physiological um, uh, slavery, and they were also in emotional slavery. They were bullied, and they weren't even respected. They were just looked at lower class citizens. And when they were free, they were freed on all those levels. But there's one level that did not, they did not reach it, the self-actualization. That is, um, that's one way to look at the receiving of the Torah, which was their journey. And then they said, wow, we have this, this, uh, this mission, so to speak, this possibility to reach our, our fullest potential, which is what self-actualization is about. And, but then they realized that even just having the Torah is not enough. We need time to internalize it. 
government and they spend the rest of our lives doing it and God gave them that option, the opportunity in the 40 years in the desert. So they really have a self-actualization. But really, then when that level is reached, their children will reach a higher level of self-actualization, which was that they can move into the land of Israel and do the physical um, commandments, which is um, which is still self-actualization, even though it's not always so much intellectualized by parents. But it's the highest level of self-actualization, which is being selfless. Meaning a person could be a slave because they're forced to, and they, they and the person that doesn't have a choice. So then you lose all the five levels. But the high, the full circle of self of self actualization, not just a pyramid, it's actually a circle, is a person who is selfless, and that's doing something for another. And that that really ties into Victor Frankl's um, logotherapy, which is therapy with meaning, and uh, that's resonated to the first. I mean, it's definitely a high, a, a, an amazing state to reach. It's not, it doesn't come right in the beginning. It's also not into that. It's all, it's, it's all about becoming something. It's not about giving. It's natural out. to see self-actualization as a, that state we spoke about, like the Jews in the desert where they're on a complete spiritual plane. For example, Aristotle, one of the greatest thinkers, uh, you know, in, in, in history who we know about, there, we, they were spiritual people. They were men of the mind, people of the mind, men and women of the mind. And that's where we see clearly self-actualization. And that's what a whole generation, the first generation of Jewish people, uh, that's how they lived. But at a certain point, they realized it's not, it's only, we're only at the tip of the plane, but it's really a circular. I don't know the math for that, how that would work, but basically, you know, there's sort of like, uh, it'd be like um, uh, um, an elevator shaft from the tip of the pyramid straight down to the bottom again, and then it's like, you can be selfless. You can do things for another, because you can. And of course, being someone who reached, who feels self-actualization, it's, it's a whole different spirit. You're, you're doing it as a free person. You're doing the same action. For example, for example, you know, you, you see an old lady at the street corner. You see to cross the street, right? So you can say, oh, a kind person would do it. Of course. But then you have that deep thinker who realizes that the greatest level That's how I can I can tap into being selfless. So, so the Jewish learn. people going in, in 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 Israel also had all the Torah, all the learning, uh, and all the levels that their parents reached, and then they went one step further. So being selfless is a result. It's that when done properly, exactly. When done properly, it's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a symptom of being free. It's living in the. Um, 
you know, there's walls around you, you know, you're very small, skinny, you know, you don't feel like the sky's gonna fall on top of you any, anytime soon. Um, and that's normal for, for a person to feel comfort in that. You know, for nine months we were nurtured in our mother's womb or in the womb of a woman. And uh, that's that's a natural comforting feeling to be frozen from, from father to side, you know, and, and that's, you know, and, and that, that's sort of what we're looking for. It's a more of an infantile um, defense mechanism against being hurt or traumatized. Something is fully giving doesn't receive. When something is receiving fully and 100% capacity, it doesn't give out. Yeah. Right. So, um, so a person, someone who's living, let's go back to, let's build up what we spoke about before. Someone who's living in self-actualization has that that esteem, has those layers where he can stand strong, terra firma, firm ground, and and say, you know what, I'm with these people who are sucking my energy. Because I walked into this room as a receiver, as a social component of this scene. And I'm going to absorb socially. But now, I have two ways to react. Either I can leave, avoid physically, it. avoid it. And avoid the situation, which is, which is definitely not expressing self-actualization. It's not selfless. The selfless thing to we could think to take a moment to think how can I be a giver now? How can I do something for these people? And he can't just, just you know scream at and say this is bad. You know, that's not gonna help, that's not gonna be giving, that's just another form of leaving. You know, you're emotionally being emotionally being absent. You know, be, but, but but you know, thinking based on all your life experiences, how can I sort of Turn on the light in this room. How can I turn on the light to this room? Like we spoke earlier about turning on the light. Mm -hmm. It doesn't know, you know, there's sometimes you can just add a little light. You know, sometimes it's your humor. It's one, always to have a few good jokes, a few, a few quality humorous yeah. concepts, you know, in your back pocket. That can really help people realize what they've been doing and how silly they've been behaving. Okay. And uh, that's really selfless. They brought that that's that's the automatic outcome of someone who's who's being selfless. Now remember, we said being selfless is a symptom of self-actualization, meaning it's not the it's not it, it exists. Being selfless exists outside of self-actualization. So when it's coming from that direction, when it's coming from your path, where you have these firmly established um, you know, um, foundations in your life that's healthy, selfless, then your selflessness is healthy. healthy. And everyone needs to recharge. There's no one in the world that can just give and give forever. Only one I know in the world who would, who would never stop giving is the Lubavitcher. And even him, it's been said about him that he was seen, you know, his, his, his um, secretaries would, would Say relate how they would they saw him they observed him as soon as he got into his office the first thing you do is re plug in with Torah reconnect to you know the source of his energy to himself so uh, yeah there's always an aspect of you know of um, of how do I say this there's always 
a component where a person has to um, maintain the, the five stages and then the selflessness comes out. There's never, it's never that you're just completely done with something. You're constantly and consistently maintaining your physio physiology and your safety and your emotions and your esteem and then even self-actualization. If you don't use it, you lose it. So it's definitely done in cycles. Definitely has to be done in cycles and it's going to be done healthy. And balance is really the key to this whole this whole hierarchy of needs. And then, it, well, it's funny because it's called hierarchy of needs, but as we just pointed out, above, quote-unquote, the, the point of the pyramid is, is selfless. So it's not a need anymore. So then it circles back. And then a person feels, it's the best feeling. So it's the climax of, uh, uh, of, the, of, of our need is to give the selflessness that raises us up to a higher level and even our physiology can change. Become lighter people. Mm -hmm. the and then repeat. And someone who looks like they're being selfless could be coming, it's coming from narcissism. Really? Correct. It could be coming from a very... Come out of anything. Come out of defense mechanism. It's come out of a need for attention because a person doesn't feel safe. It could be, you know, just from a safety to, uh, uh, aspect, you know. That's why we spoke before about, you know, when you're going to do things right, it's so important to take in, into account, to incorporate the, the, you know, the opinions of people close to you. Because whether you're a giver, whether you're, you know, whatever life you're going to live, um, if you're just doing it on your own, you're going to be highly prone to Let's take this recent coronavirus disaster, right? So, you know, people who were who were communicating, people who were being in touch with others about how do we go about things and do how to do things the best way, they had the best outcomes. People who were just saying, oh, I know how to do it and I'm just gonna wing it and it's gonna be done right and it's gonna work out. Unfortunately, the stats show that um, it's not really working out. You know, being in touch with the, with the experts and being in touch with with people in the community at a local level as well. The collaboration, that's what I was looking for, the collaboration is what creates the healthy balance. Uh, that's definitely what I, you know, I, in therapy I hate giving advice, but one piece of advice I do give is try your best to collaborate. And again, a client could, could, say, could say no. And that's, and that's collaboration also, because we're collaborating, the, the, the clinician and the client. Well, sometimes a person feels that, how do you know their specific problem if you're not them? Uh, how could you advise them on their own life and their own experiences? You're different. You're someone else. They, they're holding on to their persona. That's really important. I mean, no one will argue with that. You know, that's a very clearly stated, or just the way you said it, obviously, definitely going to cause, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Definitely going to cause distress to the person. Now, there's a halachic concept in the Torah that when something is, you feel that you'll never understand that. Why is that? Thank you for that question. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to address this very important and 
sort of like an elephant in the room, <laughs> you know, of in, in therapy and outside of therapy, right? Mm-hmm. The reason why people hold back from coming to therapy is it's not, it's not possible for the person to know my life. Um, that really ties into a lot of what we spoke before about the, the fact that almost everybody's life is almost the same, but then everyone has that percentage of their life is completely out of whack. You know, it's an outlier. But um, I just mentioned just before, in therapy, 99.99% of it is not advice. For a good, a good therapist. Because you find a therapist giving you a lot of advice. I don't know. I mean, I might question my whole goal, you know? Um, unless you, that's what, unless that's what you want. If you're asking, the, then that's okay, obviously. But if a bunch of unsolicited advice the red flag would go up, you know, the red flag would go up. But, um, therapy is about the client. Therapy, oh. You know, you, you're not coming here for me to tell you about your life. You're coming here for me to turn the light on. I can turn on the light and it's in you, and then you're, expo- and then, you know, the, the example is that you're finding yourself in your own life with the light on. And then you're going to fi- figure everything out on your own. You know, there's this example, I remember hearing it many years ago from a, from a great rabbi in, um, lives now in Detroit, Michigan. He deals with, uh, with youth, with uh, suicide prevention a lot, Yardin Blumstein, Rabbi Yardin Blumstein. He told me the, the example of a, of a city boy who went to his uncle on a farm for the summer. And the first day, his uncle gives him a chicken and he says, make sure the chicken doesn't get dirty with mud. Doesn't get any mud on it. And the boy is taking good, very good care of the chicken, holding the chicken, watching the chicken. And all of a sudden, if he sees a worm in the mud or whatever, chicken can eat, and boom, in the mud. Before I could think, and the boy's all nervous. It's already noontime. His uncle's going to be back at five o'clock. He grabs the chicken, brings it to the sink, to the, to the hose, and starts hosing it down, hosing it down, hosing it down, washing it with water. And however much he tried, there's always little pieces of dirt in, in between the feathers. And even the more he rinses, he finds another layer of dirt. And he's, he's the boy's beside himself. Finally, he gives up. His uncle comes home. He says, ah, I see the chicken got muddy. I'll teach you how to take off the mud. And he took a feather and he tickled the chicken's nose and it sneezed and all the mud came out from within. The sneeze was a, gave a shake. The chicken gave such a sneeze that from within all the mud was pushed back in in its feathers. And that's a little bit like therapy, where we, again, we, we're gonna, the therapist is gonna help you get in touch with your inner strength. And you're gonna do the work. Things are gonna fall into place sooner or later. In the best case scenario, the answer is yes. In the best case scenario, in a perfect world. Perfect world answer is yes. And it's up to each person to sort of determine what world they live in. For someone who's not living in a perfect world, and they don't feel like the parents are the healthiest path of balance for their information, definitely feel comfortable to seek out, you know, support from a licensed uh, mental health provider. 
actually there so even if not someone who's licensed actually the more just a little piece of advice in general someone who's licensed went through um, more of a, an intense training it's always the case you have to pass through a, a standardized test where everyone gets tested the same and that's like a, a filter a filter that people probably you know can't they don't have any real substance to them or just have like ideas out in the in the wild yeah so you know if you're gonna say oh well, should i go to someone who's unlicensed and someone who's licensed um definitely again just from a, a gen just this just for most people there's always that exception to the rule but most people you want you're safer to go with the licensed person who have to go through that screening process unlicensed person doesn't go through a screening process and there's less to be sure about but yeah so when you when you feel like your parents are not the best option for you to uh and you should trust your gut you know at this point it's not a what's my criteria what's the criteria to know if your parents are not the right people if your gut tells you that they're not the right people then they're not the right people um and and and, and the person might and the professional might try to um to bring you together if things are Set up in a situation where it's possible to, that eventually they should be the be your confidant, be, be able to be the people who you can tell you deepest secrets to. Then that's what you ask your therapist to help you with. Your health therapist might not just help you with that. But it really, it's about the awareness. You know, tonight it's about freedom awareness, and freedom is is in every aspect of our life. You know, someone's gonna say, "Well, I I can't tell this to my parents, so I don't know what to do. My life's over." That's not free. That's being, you know, that, that's being chained down. Knowing that there's available resources out there and how to take the right steps on the next step in life to act free. Just like the Torah tells us that the Jews went step by step by step. They settled, they, they traveled and they settled, they traveled and they settled, one day at a time. Some of their travels were, were 19 years. One of them was 19 years that's like almost half the time you know so some stages you just you'll just be at autopilot you know just gonna life's gonna be good for a long time then another time in life it could be every day another travel it could be like you feel like your life's over but if you realize you're taking steps in the right direction then that's real freedom that's you reaching yourself out showing yourself where does this come from where does this idea come from that someone else can help you guide you in your life and but really, that's a mis- little bit of a misconception because therapist is not guiding you. Therapist is just someone on the right. If the right is on for you, it's always good to check in. Say, hey, um, you know, you know a lot of people, right? You know a lot. You know, here's my life. What do you think about it? You're just checking in and like getting a confirmation, like sort of, sort of a little like the fourth step, the esteem. Like your life is great. You should go on this. You know, self actualization is your calling. You know. You have your finances are in order, your relationships are in order, your health's in order. Go, you know, the sky's the limit. Uh, that's a just you know, again, it could uh, it, it, if you have that question of am I already do I have enough in my life? Then you know that therapy they, that therapy is that is appropriate for you. If you don't have that question, if you feel like I know where I am in life. Um, you know, my favorite cartoon character of all time is uh, Tigger from Winnie the Pooh. For one, just one thing that he, uh, you know, if you don't know it, then you can look it up, whatever. There's always, you know, whenever, whenever the, the, the group 
lots of travel and the hundred acre woods. Got nervous because he got lost. But then they asked Tigger, and Tigger says, I never got lost. So they followed Tigger into the forest, and then it looks like they've been going in circles and circles and circles. And they say, Tigger, we're lost. And Tigger says, We're not lost. We're right here. I know where I am. <laughs> you know? So, like, you can say, We're lost. And then he, and Tigger's like, But then he could look at your life and say, No, I know where I am. Like, this is not. I'm a little bit going in circles now in my life, but that's where I'm holding, and that's fine. So if you have that self-awareness, like that, you don't you don't question, am I holding in the right place? Then you're not holding. You don't have the need that that, that your life isn't just working naturally on your own, so to speak. But if you have that question, the therapist is someone who can shine a light for you and sort of help you help resolve your question. Also remember, therapy is not an unnatural thing. It's some. It's it's, it's an, at the core. It's a, it's somewhat of a collaboration um, between human need. In you're, a sense. you're you're plugging into the concept of communication and collaboration, and that's definitely something that that can help us grow. And think about going to school, right? In general, you know, school we learn academia. We learn, you know, we learn there's information. But how much time is there really? almost non-existent. Uh-huh. So that counseling, that psychotherapy component in your life, that's going to just add that ingredient. And you could even do it for 30 minutes a week or a month. And, and for, you know, everyone has the amount that's good for them. And again, there's always that person who's not going to need it. That's not their question. And there are people like that. But the person who needs it and doesn't get it, it's unhealthy. Someone who thinks that it's not a good thing, or they, you know, they're not going to take therapy because um, they, they feel that they're, they don't need it, but not for a good reason. That they, they need it, but they don't know that they need it. That's normal. That's normal for the person who needs it the most to feel like that they don't need it at all, um, because that person is obviously not in a very healthy mental state, not very low in, in awareness or emotional yeah. IQ. Emotional IQ. Emotional yeah. IQ is really... And that can carry for years. Yes. For years. And, um, and again, it's there, there, there's no coercion in therapy. There's none of that. So, um, so uh, you know, that person, it's, it's about the, the, the family unit. They're sort of giving encouragement, maybe, maybe breaking it into smaller steps. Maybe having, getting advice from maybe the person being, being introduced really that bad and that person loves I don't know the actor of from Avengers or any movie whatever it is the person's favorite actor and they sort of the family maybe want to get to talk to that person say hey if you say the person should go to therapy they'll do it and the, per- and the actor is open to it or that person who that figure that person looks up to um, advising the person to say hey family really thinks you need this and, and I think it's cool um, I think that that's definitely a route to take, you know, because everyone respects somebody, hopefully. And if the person doesn't respect anybody, then then, uh, then there's also, you know, then, then it's a little bit harder to figure out what to do. But it's important for the family to keep looking for an opening. And 
that's when you gotta figure out what how does a therapist know your life it's more about you knowing your life yeah that's a, that's more the essence of what therapy you know brings to the table you know i know i said a few things of what the essence of therapy is but there's a few core components of therapy you know just a few and then those cool. are the, sort of the building blocks you know no, putting on the light which is knowing your own life you know you might be revolve around that a little bit you spoke about the communication component which again that's Putting out, put on the light in your life. To yourself. Person. To yourself, yeah. Yeah. That's why a lot of people don't, they say, ah, my therapist didn't help me. And then their life goes on to be much better. Because everything happened internally. The subconscious just let everything go. And now it's like, okay, now I'm good. So the person's, well, not with the physiology. Like, if you go to a social worker, they might see, well, you were pretty unhealthy. So that helps to start you with that. Uh, but it's more about the safety and the emotion and these three, those three middle ones that we get touched on in therapy. And then you know, self-actualization is, is out, out there in the world. And physiology is, are you medical? You're, you're going to your local medical center.